some gay France stuff. So as you just said, I don't know if it got cut off. Let's talk about <laughs> gay France stuff. <laughs> let's do it. I mean, that's is that not like the theme? Are there themes here outside of let's be well, not technically gay, bisexual. Let's be bisexual in France. Yeah, and that's that's the really interesting thing is it's like, you, we have the, okay, so we're probably gonna end up talking about bi erasure a little bit because we a little bit that. okay a lot of it. Thank you. What's fascinating about this book is it does involve somebody who would qualify mostly as bisexual and not yeah. gay, which yeah. is interesting. I don't think it's interesting. I think what's interesting is that we think it's interesting. No, what I mean by I think it's interesting is that this was in the 50s. And we're not even talking, we're not even talking about the book. We're just talking about like queer theory at this stage. (laughs) All right. So this week we're covering Giovanni's Room by James Baldwin. Yes, we are. Welcome to Unfortunately Required Reading. Uh, Happy Pride. And I say happy uh, by also mitigating the fact that, um, I've looked out the window and the world is on fire. Um, So I think that we as podcasters probably have a couple of statements to make. One, we obviously support the Black Lives Movement as one of your hosts is Black. Absolutely. Two, we are obviously pro-LGBTQIA plus podcast as both of your podcasts are somewhere in that library. Mm Mm-hmm. And three, J.K. Rowling is a turf, and I hate her. Trans, trans women are women. Trans men yep. are men. Trans Brand rights are basic are. human rights. Yes. 100% so, agree. So if that bothers you, uh, we're probably not going to be the podcast for you. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're just now listening and any of that is a shocker to you, um, bye. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Um <laughs> Tori hates me for that. No, that's my favorite saying lately. <laughs> like Tori hates me for that or loves me for that. I have not yet decided. Um, but yeah, like if any of those things bother you, uh, I'm not going to say sorry because to me, none of those things are things to apologize for. Um, if we say anything that's super, super hot takey, um, I would say you're welcome to agree with us, disagree with us, but you're not. <laughs> There's, we're not willing to uh, accept much uh, comment on any of those topics. So sorry usually we're a pretty open podcast and we love discussions and we love disagreements and debates uh on this stuff not so much (laughs) yeah on this stuff we don't really understand why there is a debate so i i still don't i fundamentally don't understand like i i don't i don't get it at all uh i only say these things as preface because uh we can start talking about tic-tac-toe and somehow end up talking about the tuskegee study that's just the nature of our podcast at this stage Uh, so we will probably somehow get political as we talk about someone who was very political, uh, James Baldwin, who I keep wanting to call James Bond. He is like the James Bond of the, uh, like standing up for people's rights. I feel like that's offensive to James Baldwin because James Bond really didn't do anything. Okay. (laughs) I can backtrack on that then. Because like I... Fun fact. James Baldwin did look good in a suit. There. He did. That's, that's the one comparison we can okay, make. Okay. That, that we, can, we can do that. <laughs> Fun fact. My former best friend was like a huge secret uh, Bond fan, which means that Bond is one of those things that I can talk about a little bit too much. Um, I still don't understand his appeal. Like, I still don't. I mean, I understand. I use dare quotes. But I don't understand. And that may be my blackness and that I'm not 
British and that I'm not, you know, physically male, but I genuinely don't understand his appeal. Even like as a sex symbol, I do not understand why he's here except to be a British phallus. Like, hey, here's all of our masculine insecurity. Let's prop up all of our insecurity and make this uber mensch who is supposed to be like the penis we all use to fuck our wives. Is that is that not what James Bond is? That's pretty accurate. Um, okay. I think it would be really sure. interesting to cover something like Casino Royale and talk about Ian Fleming because he was he was an interesting individual. And when he, I say that, that's usually yeah. me trying to be Southern and nice. Yeah, when Tori says interesting, that's rarely a good thing. Like, out of all the things that we've been able to incorporate into Tori's Southern vocabulary, uh, interesting has been one. I'm still waiting for a genuine bless your heart. I haven't gotten one just yet. Well, I won't, I usually won't use that on you. Well, yeah, because I haven't done anything worthy of that. You're like, no, no, I bake you things and I'm kind. (laughs) Well, but also, like, I'm not stupid. Like, I haven't done anything that merits a bless your heart. Um, Tori has recently heard me ruthlessly shade people to the extent that it went over people's heads and it was great. And I love that because I love the feverish messaging back and forth of like, you shady bitch. (laughs) I love Amanda. Amanda is the champion of the, this looks like a compliment, but if you know Amanda, it's not. Yeah. And... I'm here for it. I don't know if that makes me a bad person. But I don't think I it makes you a bad person. I love I your wordplay where you're sitting there going, if you think about this for more than two seconds, you would not have just said thank you. <laughs> right. Like there, oh my God. I love it. Cause like I'll do that on Twitter where it's even harder to read tone and then like I'll get a text message like, you shady hoe. <laughs> like from my friends. It's like, you shady ass hoe. And it's like, and the worst part is that the other person who got that response from you, thinks they won i'll give you an example there was a person who uh was like ranting on twitter about anime and they were like people just need to understand that like not everyone is gonna like what you like and it's like okay cool so i responded like so then how am i supposed to interact with people who don't have good arguments like i was trying to be nice and this person responded you know just real poet laureate said i think you just need to remember that anime is art and art is subjective to which i responded thank you for your feedback. And I did the little small C colon smiley face. And I got like five Twitter DMs immediately. Like you shady asshole. (laughs) And like the worst part is that that person thinks that like I seeded their point. Well, the hard thing is in human interactions in general, especially ones that are digital, digitally based. Mm -hmm. There are so many times where you have to go, delete, 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 and then write something per my last email or in reference to a previous conversation. Right. To the point where my mom was teasing me yesterday and said, I don't think you have anxiety. I think you have extreme suppressed rage. And I was like, that is 100% correct. I actually have a Google Doc of things that I wish I could say to people when they're being awful. Mm -hmm. And like, to keep myself from accidentally typing an email and sending it, I'll go right. into there and right. be like, you ridiculous hose beast. Like just, I, I excel at insults. It's a Slytherin thing, but I can't do anything with it. 
not not legally not not, not in legally. polite society no i i feel like i just need to write a book but uh i'm doing two of those right now but yeah um tori i think just got to glimpse the face that i just made because we're drinking i think it's called like a ginger bourbon highball or something i don't remember i found it on the internet and it's uh two ounces of bourbon and ginger ale Uh, fun fact i don't usually like bourbon (laughs) so i probably could have gotten away with an ounce um and more ginger ale it doesn't taste bad it's just I don't think I understand the point of, like, certain liquors. Like, bourbon and whiskey is, like, what are you here for? Outside um, of To make you make that weird grimace face and then go bite your wife. Or uh, to make you feel like you're in that horrible second Kingsman movie that no one talks about outside of Pedro Pascal. I haven't seen it. I've only seen the first one. Okay, so there is a second one. And Pedro Pascal plays one of the American Kingsmen, which are called the Statesmen, and their headquarters is in a bourbon factory. And he has an electro laser lasso. Is this like when they made (laughs) the um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie and they decided they had to put Tom Sawyer in it? It was Tom Sawyer or Huck Finn? It was one of them. Yes. And it was like, this does not fit at all. So it fits, because in the original Kingsman movie, not in the comics, really, because it was a comic. You have to be that person. Uh, In the movie, it is hinted that there are other independent spy organizations. So it makes sense that the Kingsmen have an American counterpart. How they're roped in, pun not intended, is stupid, contrived, and dumb. The rest of that movie is a train wreck, and I honestly think it actively makes the first movie worse. But Pedro Pascal, as an American Kingsman with a laser lasso named Tequila, is the best thing in the entire world. (laughs) And Channing Tatum's there. Halle Berry got in somehow. Uh, The guy who plays Merlin, who's very Welsh. Who is he? Mark Strong. I was going to say, are we talking the BBC one or? No, the one in Kingsman. Oh, I don't, I don't know. It's okay. Mark Strong, I believe. He's so Welsh, it hurts. I don't know what he's doing here. That's why I got confused. I'm like, wait a minute. The BBC, they film everything in Wales. And then my brain was like, we're rewatching Doctor Who. Just that's where that's coming from. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm sorry. (laughs) My ice cubes are uh, Daleks. Um, uh, Mark Strong ends up singing uh, Country Roads. I'm not going to give you any context as to how that happens, but he does end up singing country. <laughs> uh, so that's Kingsman, which is not talking about the book. Uh, we need to talk about the book. Or do we? Can we just talk about <laughs> The world is on fire. Can we just talk about Kingsman? I mean, we can. And we'll just have, like, Kingsman breaks. <laughs> well, okay. In all fairness. And aside that- with Amanda on the Kingsman. <laughs> Well, okay, so fun fact, uh, my former best friends and I, like, that was, like, our Christmas tradition, because there was one Christmas that, um, I was staying with my aunt, but my aunt was in a hotel, because, like, that's, like, one of her traditions, so I had, like, the house to myself, so I invited my then best friend, and we stayed over, and I, like, I cooked for him, and, like, Christmas morning, we woke up, and, like, we were, you know, cleaning and everything like that, and we were watching Kingsman, that was his first time ever watching Kingsman, so it became, like, a weird, like, Christmas tradition that, like, you know, normal people watch, like, a Christmas story, or, like, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Kingsman is my Christmas movie, (laughs) 
which I think is the second most on-brand statement ever. Yeah, this is a this isn't a surprise. <laughs> but like, it's not shocking to anyone who knows me. But like, my Christmas movie is Kingsman. Uh, so like, we would quote it all the time uh, and stuff like that. So I really love it. Uh, but we can't talk about Kingsman over James Baldwin because that's two issues in the LGBT community, which is person of color erasure and bi erasure, which we're going to get to. So do you want a short story long while I try yeah. to... Oh, I have cheese. I got Delise because we're still in France. Ooh. I so. ate um, some jalapeno monster earlier, but that's just because I'm like, James Baldwin is spicy. And that was what was on sale at H-E-B. Anyway. Like, because you're also a bit of a spice gremlin? Yes. Delise, though. Delise there's is a there's a ghost pepper howda that when we're able to be back together that I should go ahead and pick up for us. We should do that. Like when we're, when we're able to leave our homes, uh, which I don't know when because Texas has a lot of cases because <laughs> capitalism opened the state too soon. Um, yeah, we're in the middle of the second wave, but I'm going into James Baldwin now because people are probably like, what the hell are you doing? Anyway, mm-hmm. so to be fair, we could have done his most famous book in other country, but we wanted to do something that was both black and gay yes. for this intense June. So this is where um, Giovanni's room is coming from. Woo. So here's the story. David is an American who has moved to Paris. He begins to tell the story of what has happened the evening before he, quote, will lose his life, end quote. He talks about meeting a man named Giovanni. He has proposed to his girlfriend, as in David has proposed to his girlfriend. Then mm-hmm. she's gone off on a trip alone to check out Spain and think about whether or not she actually wants to get married. Mm-hmm. fair point girl keep running yeah after going to a bar mostly populated with men clearly veiled as a gay bar uh, <laughs> david encounters giovanni an italian bartender living in paris there's some back and forth david's friend is like i'm gonna get, hit that giovanni is clearly not interested but giovanni is very interested in david mm-hmm. things get hot and heavy they end up moving in together and being roommates and beginning an affair mm-hmm. um They're really unsure of what they're doing. And during all of this, David's girlfriend comes back to Paris and -hmm. David tells Giovanni he's gonna need to break things off because he's already said he's gonna marry this girl. Mm -hmm. Giovanni kind of loses his shit, goes through a major depressive episode, gets involved with intoxicants, so drugs and alcohol, and then murders one of his lovers. Um, David is obsessed with what has happened to Giovanni. Um, His girlfriend, Hella, is confused confused about why he is so concerned over Giovanni especially if they were just roommates right things kind of fall apart from there and the life David speaks of losing is actually Giovanni being executed Mm -hmm. it is a lot more dramatic than that when you're reading the book and it's one of those books that I highly recommend you don't just spark notes or cliff notes it it's not that long of a book it's actually really incredibly well written yeah, and it's actually surprisingly spicy. And modern. It feels very mm-hmm. modern. This book yeah. came out in 54, but it's mm-hmm. like, whoa, this is something that could have been written today. Yeah, and if you're like me, where like you kind of, your brain shuts off when it goes all whomst and thousts, mm-hmm. um, this is a lot easier of a read. My brain doesn't turn off because I'm dumb, obviously. It turns off because I get bored. <laughs> Oh, I feel you. I'm reading War and Peace right now because I was like, I'm going to do something important during the this shutdown. I'm Which, sorry. I'm going to go ahead and cut you off. Why is War and Peace important right now? Okay. Because I was like, hey, this is a massive book I've always said I'm going to get through. This is going to be one of my goals so I can focus my brain. Is this your white do. whale? 
this is my white whale. This is okay. my, which, you know, now I need to read that book too, but whatever. No, you don't. There's entire chapters about clam chowder. My mom said she just got hungry the entire time she was reading Herman Melville. Anyway, so the book is interesting. And by that, I mean, not a bad interesting. War and Peace has these sections that are very dramatic, very entertaining, very focused on structure and status in the Russian culture during the time period. It's when you get into the war with Napoleon that the book is like, sweet Jesus, take me now. Anyway, moving back to James Baldwin. Was War and Peace Dostoevsky or Tolstoy? Tolstoy. Okay. So I was about to say, James Baldwin did like Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky is very dark and he's amazing. So, so is Tolstoy, but you have to understand that if you're going to run the gamut, it's a little bit like reading the Lord of the Rings books. Yeah. You gotta like endure the parts that you're definitely not interested in. Um, Especially for the fact that Tolstoy goes in and just explains everything about why this is important and why this is important and why you should be paying attention to what Napoleon says. And it ends up being kind of like war fan fiction. Mm -hmm. Anyway. So do you want to do... Do you want to do some theming? Yes. So one of the weird things about this book mm-hmm. is the fact that all the characters are white. James mm-hmm. Baldwin was not. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though Baldwin's very famous quote is the sexual question and the racial question have always been entwined mm-hmm. in Giovanni's room, all the characters are white. Mm-hmm. So the question is, was this a I'm thinking this was a conscious choice because he knew he could pick one or the other to get by censors. He couldn't do both. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to get really, really personal here. As a writer and as a fiction writer, I do a lot of the same things. Most of my OCs aren't Black. I don't think any of them are. And that's not just because a lot of my fanfics either deal with anime or deal with like modern um, fantasy works, which have ignored people of color since ever. It's also just because I'm very detached from the Black experience, and because there is no unified Black experience, sometimes you reach a point with writing that it's too subtle and people don't get it. Because especially in Black narratives, readers are so used to it just being like the color purple or beloved. Like, no one is used to like a nuanced Black narrative. So if you're going to have a narrative of someone who's relatively normal, I guarantee you most editors are going to say that character can just be white. There's also this whole issue with like avatars and stuff like that. So even like for me with cosplay and with writing, it's very easy to slip on a white skin essentially because that was always the default that was presented to me in media. The idea of being a black protagonist was really not something that was presented to me, especially not in a way that made any sense to me as a person. We did see black protagonists in media going back eh, a few years, Um, but they were never ones that related to me personally. So it was much easier to sort of be able to slip into this white hegemonic state and sort of ignore the fact that I was ignoring a huge part of me. So... I think a lot of it has to do with defaulting. I think a lot of it has to do with probably censorship, as you mentioned. But I also think a lot of it has to do with just the fact that this is probably an easier narrative. I think at that stage, it probably would have been too radical to do both. It would have been too radical to be black and bi. 
as it still kind of is for some people, considering that this is coming from a writer, me, who was black and bi. <laughs> right, and it's, what's interesting too is, is Baldwin is very outspoken mm-hmm. on race relations and issues and things like that, mm-hmm. to the point where he, as, as we will, are kind of have titled the episode, Fucked Off to France. <laughs> and there's a whole part in the documentary I Am Not Your Negro where he's mm-hmm. talking about how he had to go someplace where he didn't feel like police were always watching his back. Right. Like he had to go someplace where he felt like he could shut a door to his room and write something and not have to worry about being terrorized. Right. And that speaks volumes, but it also speaks volumes that he would need to default to one or the other. Right. And that's something that you see a lot with Black writers to this day, is the idea of, is this character Black enough? You hear that a lot, actually, in Black writing spaces, that if you're going to make a character Black, is this character Black enough? Because again, when you're reading fiction with a Black protagonist, if there's not enough struggle, you're going to get the question, well, why isn't this character white? Because apparently to be Black is to be back on the boat. (laughs) To be Black... Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting too, especially in, in modern adaptations, and I hate to bring up the uh, the turf in chief right now, but even when there was the whole concept of the cursed child and they cast a black act- actress as Hermione, right. people lost their shit. Right. And she said the only descriptions we really have is that she's got bushy brown hair mm-hmm. and she's got dark eyes. Mm-hmm. So how does that casting not work? Well, I mean, racism is how it works. <laughs> Yeah, no, fair. Um, <laughs> but it's it's one of those things where a lot of times authors intentionally will limit the description of their main character. And you see this, and I hate to invoke this as well, Twilight, mm-hmm. because they want you to feel like you can step into that role. That well, you can feel what those characters are feeling. Yes. And so unfortunately, a lot of the time editors will provide notes that say things like this character isn't black enough this character isn't unfortunately ethnic or urban enough right hopefully we move back from that um there are a lot of groups now um especially in the music field who are no longer going to be referring to awards under the urban category anymore right seems like a small thing but it's a big victory it's a huge victory, but uh, to go back to Hermione, like, I don't want to give uh, the Turf in Chief any credit because that's just, rep- that's just capitalism. Mm-hmm. Like, to, to kind of have characters be self-inserts, that's just, that's bad writing in capitalism. Because if your writing is good enough, it shouldn't matter what skin tone anyone is. Um, there, was a, there was a show that I was on, and one of the other guests had mentioned that they didn't like Steven Universe because Steven Universe was too gay, and he couldn't relate to it. And I said, so you're a sociopath. It's like, it doesn't matter that the relationships are homosexual love is love like that has nothing to do with it um but even me when i was reading hermione because a lot of her coding and her defaulting is still white even if she has bushy hair and eyes everything about white hegemonic society has still led me to believe that this is a white character so even i balked a little bit when it's like oh that's a black lady not enough to be racist obviously but it took me a minute because my brain never had any issue imagining these characters as white which is an issue in and of itself um 
but that's one of the places where I think like fan fiction is so interesting. Um, if you look at Tumblr right now, there's actually a ton of trans Harry Potter art right now, just to kind of be spiteful. Um, and I love it because that's the cool thing about OCs and fan fiction and fan art is when you're left with loose descriptions, you can do whatever you want. I think uh, one of my favorite examples of that to talk about a podcast that I one day hope we get to be is Welcome to Night Vale. We never really get a canonical description of the main character, Cecil, ever. We have loose ideas of what he's wearing sometimes, and it's all nonsense outfits because Night Vale is a nonsense world that feels more like our own than it ever should. Too real? The police are wondering why you've moved away from the microphone and they're not able to get a clear recording. And the Trayvon Martin dragon? Oh, yes. <sighs> Did I tell you that? So I listened to that episode leaving one of my friend's funerals. Oh, no. So I was in, I was in line at Taco Bell in my car just sobbing. <laughs> it's like, yes, I want queso. <laughs> um... But yeah, like we don't get any canon depiction of Cecil. So whenever people cosplay as him or write as him or draw him, we never know what he looks like. So no one is wrong. <laughs> Everyone is right. I forget who the guy is from like Desert Bluffs. Kevin. 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 Oh, the, only, the only real information we have about Kevin is that he's a murderer. Is, is that he's a murderer and that he's probably covered in entrails. Like Right. Like and we, we do get some coding notes because of voice and inflection. Do I have to explain what coding is? Have I talked about coding? We've talked a little bit about coding when we talked about The Hobbit. Do I have to talk about it again? Let's, let's re-explore coding for a minute. Uh, so coding is a horrible thing that just because of inflection and costume and notes and design and framing, which I'm not explaining because I've explained framing in every episode. <laughs> I am rebelling. Uh, you still get to pull information about a character, even if there's not like a strong, uh, like, you don't have to say this character is black. You can tell by a myriad of other things that this is a black character. Uh, the example for that, I think, is always like Bright, the movie with Will Smith, which was terrible. You don't need to know the orcs are black. They do everything on their power to, like, flash and big lights. These are supposed to be minorities. <laughs> Between the tall tees and the jerseys and the Timberlands and the sports and the hanging out under graffiti, which is so racist it hurts. Because that's all the black people do. I was going to say, I don't think I've ever seen you hang out under graffiti ever. I've not, and I don't own any Timberlands. I don't have a jersey to any sport. Um, I have no snapbacks. <laughs> I don't drink uh, malt liquor out of paper bags. Which say, it's almost like black people are people and they're all different and they all have their own personalities and interests. Right. And and I say that not to shame my brothers and sisters that do because I have consumed malt liquor and promptly fell to the ground because my body has decided that either I can read poetry or I can process malt liquor. I cannot process malt liquor. It completely goes through me. It goes straight to my head, and it was one Christmas. I drank too much malt liquor. I fell to the ground, and I laid there for a while in the grass, and I said, help me, <laughs> to my friend who was not a friend, and laughed at me instead of helped me off the grass. 
My husband is the only person I've ever met who can drink Mad Dog 2020 and not suffer ill effects. He does not drink it now, but he drank it when he was younger at parties. And he's like, I didn't understand why people were passing out. And I was fine. And I'm like, but now I can give him a rum runner from the uh, Manger Bar and he is gone. And it is the funniest thing on the planet. I think that's just called getting old. I think it's just called getting old. But uh, we should probably also talk about um, setting a book in a different place because we have to talk about expats and we have to talk about France, which we've talked about France a lot because I am secretly Calvin Candy and I'm a huge Francophile. Victoria. A little bit about it too in regards to um, Hemingway and to like the great Gatsby and stuff like that, Fitzgerald and just kind of that portion. Yes. But I will say that obviously the majority of our conversation was the little white grouping there. Yes. So we should probably talk about brown people in France. Uh, but I have to stop and say one Victoria knows about the wall of France in my apartment where mm-hmm. I have a, a replica key of the key to the Bastille prison. Yep. And I have the French uh, flag with the fleur de lis because I do not acknowledge the flag that was made after the revolution, which is where you get the tricolor. And I miss the flag that had a bunch of frogs on it, which no one likes to talk about, even though we still acknowledge the French as frogs. We don't know where it comes from, but we still call them frogs. Um, (laughs) But I'm a huge Francophile because that's what happens when you're an African-American who doesn't live a traditional African-American experience. You look for cultures that uh, make more sense to you. This got very personal. I'm going to blame the bourbon. Uh, So France is beautiful. Definitely has its own issues with race and racism. But at the time of writing, was more egalitarian than the U.S. So... And we're seeing that a little bit now where Black people currently are looking at their passports and trying to figure out where they can be of use. Because without saying too much, I'm not anti-police, I'm pro-staying alive. (laughs) So it's interesting that we see this mimicking of an expat in David, though he's white, to Baldwin, who was black, and said, "Eat this A," <laughs> and went overseas. So, setting it in France gives you the liberty to do things that you wouldn't normally do. Also, there's still this whole thing about like France being a place where passions run wild, and you can do whatever you want, including some guy's ass, I guess. Uh- I love that you just said that with a completely straight face. Like, (laughs) you know, do cocaine, fuck a guy in the ass. You know, it's France. It's fine. Where am I lying? You're not. Don't be a small lie. Yeah. um, And the idea of being an expat is really, really important, as we see in Baldwin's life. uh, The idea of fleeing and going somewhere else that you either perceive to be more beautiful, more natural, nicer, kinder, better. I've been on a stint of watching No Reservations with Anthony Bourdain because I miss Anthony Bourdain dearly. Um, and it's he has been a like couple three years, huh? It's been two or three, it's yes. Two, yeah, it's two or three. Um, weird. It's weird to live in a world without Tony Bourdain. It is. It's very weird. Um, it's also even more weird that like Travel Channel tried to do a show very similar to No Reservations, 
but with Gordon Ramsay. What did he just do? Go and yell at other cultures? No, he's very quiet and boring. Like, he doesn't have a personality when he's not yelling. And he doesn't have the same level of, like, he doesn't have a point of view. Like, at least Anthony Bourdain had a point of view. He's not trying to seek revenge on his Russian friend by making him go get waxed? No. Oh, my God. I uh, Before we started recording, I was watching the Romania episode. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and to the point, which I'm getting to... Anthony Bourdain spends a lot of time talking about places that he would live in, so he does talk very lushly about certain places, but never in a way that isn't framed in realism. When he talks about fucking off and moving to Vietnam, he acknowledges the amount of privilege that comes with that. That being able to say, as a Westerner, as an American, as a man, that I have the ability to essentially become a colonizer once more. I wonder if that expatriation is a little bit of revenge fantasy for Baldwin, being able to say, if you took me from my land, I'm leaving yours. I can still do the analysis with the bourbon. That's good. Getting deep here. (laughs) Oh my God. We should also probably mention that uh, Giovanni being Italian is probably not uh, a coincidence. Yeah. Um, the French and the Italians like to take uh, 1A and 1B as far as who has the most sex. Though, fun fact, when I went to Austria, there's like a statistics list for when you go overseas as the dumb young American. And in that list said that Austrians are most likely to sleep with you while having an STD and not tell you they have an STD. Well, that's creepy. Isn't it? I was going to say, you could just go to New Zealand. They love sex. I would go to New Zealand, and I don't think I'd ever leave. Yeah. Yeah. But I also feel like I would be that dumb person who dies there. Is it bad that I have a boner for Jacinda? No, I don't think it's bad. She's so smart, put together, and can lead a country. Mm -hmm. And I miss that. I miss that. Yeah, I miss uh, competent leadership as well. Um, oh, God. We should also probably talk about being gay in the military because there's an entire character named the fairy who is discharged for being gay. That's more of a symbol than a theme. Is it a theme and a symbol? I think it's more of a symbol. I don't know. Hooray. Um, we should probably talk about that. Uh, the military has a very um, conflicting history. <laughs> with homosexuality especially as didn't we end don't ask don't tell during obama but now we're trying to take away transgender rights in the military we are not trying to do anything okay trump is trying to do these things excuse me i have not tried to take away anyone's rights i'm just saying the country that we live in that we didn't vote for this (laughs) yeah i was like excuse me i'm i'm not trying to do shit (laughs) i'm trying to get through the day I had a friend who, um, she's from Scotland, and she posted up today, like, Jesus, America, like, I feel bad for y'all. You just waking up in a new hell every day. And I wrote back, yes, we kind of just wake up, look out the window and go, what fresh hell will greet me this morning? And to do it on the anniversary of the pole shooting. Oh, it's so dumb. So freaking just. I mean, there's never a good time to do that. But on the anniversary of the pole shooting. It's like, I don't think that was a coincidence. You know what? No, I think the worst part is it was because I'm not going to give that motherfucker any credit for knowing what happened at Pulse. 
I did see something that was amazing and it said, you know, with all these accidental coincidings, it said, either way, it's terrible because can you imagine if we have this many that you could accidentally fall upon? That just means we have a lot of baggage. So to backpedal feverishly because I'm tired and I'm looking very longingly at this glass that has an owl on it. Um, <laughs> the the military has a very uh, conflicting history with homosexuality, realistically across the world. Um, some countries are harsher on it than others. That uh, angst about homosexuality likely just comes from internalized misogyny, which is a fascinating theory about why homophobia exists is that realistically it is just internalized misogyny <laughs> um and the idea that this character is essentially so emasculated into being labeled as a fairy for being discharged for being gay is just sort of um it's interesting i'm not mad at it i also understand the time period which we probably should have mentioned at the start that we do have a little bit of um time period nonsense where there may be words and uh, turn a phrase that you may not like. Right. What's interesting too about this time period as well was in Hollywood before the Hayes Act, um, which kind of led to our motion picture association, you shouldn't watch this movie because it's mm -hmm. rated R, like that kind of stuff. It, uh, it's a long process to get there, but mm -hmm. up until the Hayes Act, what they would do is they would play homosexual characters for laughs. They would have a man who would be a very big dandy. And mm -hmm. you know, he was so silly because he was so feminine. And mm -hmm. then they would have women who would be more masculine. And mm -hmm. they would make fun of him because, oh, look at this woman. She thinks she wears the pants in the family. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you're watching it now going, oh my God, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> But I mean, we still do that. I mean, we, we still absolutely we, we still do that. Like, we still have a very outdated view of what it means to be gay. And if you aren't a smooth twink, like you aren't apparently gay or gay enough. Like, that's still a problem that we have, and everything is exhausting. There was that whole movie In and Out in like the late '90s, early '20s about the teacher that that guy like early 2000s. Yeah. Sorry, in the 20s, 20s it's like wait i what? don't know where we are what's <laughs> happening it's the same no but it was like that teacher gets outed by a student and he right. comes to terms with the fact he's gay it is right. so insulting it is it so is. insulting it is like i don't know how where i am or what time period we're in anymore because it feels like the civil rights era so yeah uh it's weird. I've I've been watching ER as Tori knows. I'm at the last episode. I've watched 15 seasons of ER. And I'm at like the I'm at like 2008-2009 and everything except for the president is the same. There's still concerns about police brutality. There's still a lot of issues around trans identity. There's still families that are rejecting their gay relatives. There's still black people dying senselessly. There's still kind of an AIDS thing. Like, nothing has changed. We just have better cell phones and a worse president. <laughs> but my favorite doctors are all gone. All of my favorite doctors are gone, and I'm upset. 
And all of the ethnic ones are gone, except for a very stern Angela Bassett. Well, after those 13 seasons, like, we're going to go do other things. Most of them left way before that. (laughs) Most of my favorites left way before that, which, in all fairness, ER is a show that I have no idea went on for as long as it did. Who let ER go on for that long? Mm, representatives who could still sell advertising this is true i remember messaging tori like i reached the episode where the creator michael Crichton actually died (laughs) so i think that covers almost everything except for the most important question which is bisexual or homosexual (laughs) because there have been fights Mm mm-hmm Bisexual erasure is a huge thing. And I mean, we're seeing more of a movement towards pansexual. Um, For people who have never listened to our primer before, Mm -hmm. the difference between bi and pan, bisexual, Mm -hmm. you're interested in men, you're interested in women. Mm -hmm. There's two, you know, back and forth. Yes. Pansexual is more encompassing. Mm -hmm. It includes people who are also attracted to um, non-binary as Mm -hmm. well as transgender. Mm-hmm. so well so transgender wouldn't fit in that because again transgender then would revert back to the gender of transition so a trans man is a man a trans woman is a woman so that's where it gets really confusing in the world yeah so if you say you're bisexual great if you say you're pansexual great not gonna but, question you on but anything. here's where it gets extra confusing because like with everything in the lgbt qia plus community there's a spectrum and down to personal belief one of the last significant relationships i was in was was with a non-binary individual i have no issue still calling myself bi because to me my definition of bisexual has never been exclusionary it's never been about the binary it's been about i'm attracted to both which both means that there is a spectrum like how spicy you want your salsa not every bisexual is Tila Tequila. Most of us aren't Tila Tequila. I mean, I'm thankful most of us aren't Tila Tequila. Why did we let Tila Tequila out of hell? Who let her out? I mean, I think they were bored. Like, I'm pretty sure that, like, she was locked up in hell somewhere under the floorboards. And I guess, like, someone just released her accidentally. And now she won't go back. They're like, hey, what's in this box? Oh, crap. Like, no, we've released we it. We were saving that for the apocalypse. Um, but there's a lot of question in this about um, David's sexuality because if he's had relationships with women and then is suddenly having a relationship with a man, is he bi or was he always gay? Um, here's a hot take from a bi person. It doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> What's interesting too <laughs> is David also talks about a relationship he had with a friend back home. Yes. And how destructive it was because they were like having to hide things and then everybody was denying it and then he mm-hmm. was like running away and like Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> I got in trouble watching Brokeback Mountain with my friends because we were at a theater and Anne Hathaway shows her boobs in that movie and I leaned over to my friend and said, Now I can die now. And um that was the first time they realized something else had was going on. So anyhow, I love that we just mentioned Brokeback Mountain and you somehow made this out Anne Hathaway's boobs. I mean, isn't everything? 
she's not my favorite, but I will not deny her for you, if that makes sense. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I will not take her from you. She is not my favorite. Um, my, I mean, Eva I, Green, you're still my number one, so. I've told you mine. I told you my number one. Do you remember? No. Ava Mendez. Oh, that's fair. That's very fair. And I can tell you exactly which one. Ava Mendez in The Spirit as Sans Serif. That was like, oh, <laughs> hello there. Hello. <laughs> hello. How are you? Um, so to me, that question is fascinating in the way that like fangirls argue over like what mental illnesses characters have. But as an actual queer person, I have zero interest in it because realistically it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, I don't, I like it as an idea of bisexuality, but it's also problematic in the way that there's this idea of bisexual men, especially one being doomed, essentially. Like the bisexual male is never allowed to have good things in media. Like he's just not but also and the bisexual hmm? woman is almost always portrayed as chaotic yes um which i think solidifies that we're watching slash reading rent for our next one. Oh, <laughs> we have to talk about the manic pixie dream by no <laughs> we have no choice we have to talk about bad white man allyship amanda knows how much i hate rent to sodomy it's between god and me i'm done i'm done i have done out tonight as a performance piece multiple times and I everyone everyone's rent. done seasons of love everyone's auditioned to seasons of love oh my god calm down <laughs> two two gay theater people just <laughs> drinking bourbon and talking about queer theory uh so back to my point i don't give a hoot i don't give a hoot let let david live he's been through enough can we also talk about the inherently misogynistic play that his girlfriend's name is hella mm-hmm. can we just and the fact that like he clearly doesn't like her like, like abundantly it's i mean i personally feel like that's why she fucked off to spain initially is because she's like i don't think this guy actually likes me Mm-hmm. but he proposed to me mm-hmm. so as a woman at this time period is right. this my best option or should i just go back to the u.s like right um which is another part that i kind of hate about this because especially in narratives like this the closeted male partner usually ends up severely fucking over not literally but figuratively his female partner it's usually very detrimental to them Not that it is in real life, because I hate that narrative of like, oh, my husband ended up being trans and it ruined our marriage. And it's like, calm down, Belinda, you're fine. Like, it's a trauma. I get it. But like. (laughs) Also, I feel like if we had a more open culture, that wouldn't be as much of an issue. You know, if we had a more open culture, we wouldn't have this book. (laughs) That's true. If we had published in 54. Yeah, like, if we had a more open culture, we would not have any of the problems that we have. Ergo, we would have no fiction. That's true. We would just have, like, live journal. (laughs) Which sounds great, honestly. (laughs) 
Which, oh. which sounds wonderful. I just noticed that uh, Nickelodeon did a very, very fun thing for Pride, and SpongeBob is a rainbow, so now everyone is saying that SpongeBob is gay, which that coding is very obvious, and I'm in no way shocked. So, hello. Uh, Hi. Should we uh, talk a little bit about James Baldwin in the text? No, because there is one more thing that I think that we need to discuss. Okay. We do need to talk about misogyny. <laughs> Which is There's our favorite subject. <laughs> a lot of it in this book. There's okay, I'm gonna say a hot take, and if we lose listeners, I'm sorry. But in the in the levels of misogynistic people that I know, cis gay men are right underneath most cis het men. <laughs> there is a visceral hatred that some gay men have for women. And I want to emphasize the sum. I do, I do want to, I mean it more as a community issue. I am far from calling out individuals. I know everyone is different and unique in our family. For as many people as I know are hot trash, I know people that are loving, supportive, and kind. But there is a systemic misogyny problem in the queer community. Just, and it is frankly exhausting because it doesn't make sense. We're all in this together, but in all fairness, there are occasions where I can see why gay men are not always fond of women, especially straight women, because straight women are the ones that turn up at gay bars most of the time, and they go too far, and they mess everything up, and they ruin the vibe, and your poppers get spilled, and then someone's fighting someone in a bathroom for ketamine, like, it's a whole thing. I said that very quickly. You said that very polished as well. You are prepared for pageant interview, man. <laughs> Am I? I just talked about ketamine. I don't think I'm prepared. Did you hear about New York's glory hole policy? I did. Yeah, that wasn't something I had on my 2020 bingo card at all. It should be there. So Maybe for people account. who don't know, there were some guidelines that were sent out from, what is it, the New York Department of Health? Yes. And it was actually encouraging um, not having close contact, at least facially, mm -hmm. for sex. Mm -hmm. And it encouraged barriers, mm -hmm. including, what was it? it? It wasn't described as a glory hole, but it was like... It was a glory hole. <laughs> but it was very obvious that that's what they were talking about. Yes. Um, and for those of you who don't know what that is, it's when there's a hole in the wall and someone sticks their private parts through it. Um usually a penis, and then on the other side, they are handled. Um, okay, two, two follow-up points. One, not usually, almost every time. And two, handled is a very, very sweet veiling of what goes down. And actually, a third tertiary, it doesn't just have to be a wall. Again, things Amanda has said too quickly. Happy Pride. I'm like, how am I the innocent one here right now? <laughs> <laughs> like my, first, my stepdaughter is not here this weekend, which is why I'm as loud as I am right now. Right, because otherwise you'd be off in a corner and like, and the pee pee goes in the glory hole sometimes for the sucky sucky. There's also usually goods exchanged, goods and or monetary which is technically prostitution or it's just doing a favor for a friend. Depends on how you write it on your taxes. 
I am a deviant chaos by. I am the John Constantine. Like that's <laughs> that has always been a thing for me. I am a horrible little deviant chaos by, which is perfect and valid. Are we done with misogyny? <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean personally, no. obviously, we're done with. Yeah, personally, but... I've been done since I exited the womb. But as far as like a theme, sure. I don't know. Characters hate women. Stop it. Trans women are women. There we go. Move on. Let's talk about Baldwin. And moving on. Moving so, on. Baldwin is a badass. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, if you get a chance, go to YouTube and I'll post the links too. Mm-hmm. listen to him speak mm-hmm. crap this mm-hmm. man is an amazing orator um he was born august 2nd in 1924 in harlem new york Woo! um he was born to mary bardis jones mary mm-hmm. left james father um due to some shenanigans that mostly involved drug sales yep um she remarried a preacher named david baldwin and that's where james got his last name Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up taking care of his multiple brothers and sisters when he was younger and unfortunately mm-hmm. his stepdad died when he was very young mm-hmm. so he ended up kind of taking on a more raising his siblings role mm-hmm. um, when he was a teenager it came up pretty quickly that he was gifted mm-hmm. and he was discovered for his absolute love of the written word mm-hmm. so there were teachers who encouraged him and told him to do this but unfortunately because he was black he didn't have as many options Mm-hmm. And he could feel that. He could see that on a day-to-day basis. Um, he was yeah. regularly teased and tormented by the NYPD. And he wouldn't be the first or the last. Exactly. Um, he ended up being the literary editor of his high school magazine, but he hated high school because he was constantly slurred and tormented. Yes. Because. Racism. Um, and there's probably also a little bit of um, the fact that he was starting to show his sexuality as a teenager. He started mm-hmm. to question it at that age. And as he got a little older, he gave, he just was fed up because he couldn't go to certain places and sit down at a table because he was black. He couldn't do certain things because he was gay. And he mm-hmm. said, fuck it, I'm going to Paris. Mm-hmm. Which, as we talked about, sounds like a good idea at this point. I um, know almost all of the uh, requirements to become a citizen of Denmark. So, just in case. There you go. Giovanni's Room was actually his second book. It was published in 1956. I kept mm-hmm. saying 54 at the beginning. I'm sorry. I was thinking about writing. Um, this was way before the gay liberation movement was a thing. Yes. So it was kind of a surprising book at the time. Yes. There was most definitely an FBI file open on James Baldwin because they mm-hmm. considered him to be a threat to national security. Yes. And they also made a very big deal in his file of mentioning him as a homosexual. Yes. Um, he ended up later on, he, he passed away in 87, but he was a major advocate for AIDS research, mm-hmm. racial equality, civil mm-hmm. rights, LGBTQIA rights. And, um, as you put it, he was just like regularly talking to the most awesome people like Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. And fucking Josephine Baker. Like, God damn, I feel like we would like history in this stuff so much more if we stopped talking about boring old white men who did nothing but covet their cousins. Exactly. I, and that's the really interesting thing now, being an adult and choosing what I learn and choosing what I can give to mm-hmm. my daughter to look at. Mm-hmm. I have entire books about female scientists. I have books about women who have changed the world. I have books about people of color who have like, come forward and done some badass shit that right. we're like 
okay, that's, that's a little less important than us talking about like this thing you're going, but this thing is boring. Right. <coughs> Sorry. It's okay. How do you, I mean, it, it happens. There's allergies act up. But like he knew so many cool people and did so many cool things. And like, that is so much more interesting to me than fucking Nathaniel Hawthorne and whatever the goddamn hell he did about his job yeah just complained all the time like jesus h christ i feel like i feel like if we covered authors that were more interesting like we would care about this stuff and kids would probably be way less bored in school right like that's i mean can you imagine a person who like hung out with malcolm x mlk josephine baker like was the talk of the town was an expat who just like did everything that's amazing Ended up broke, though, of course, because he's a black man and Lord knows he can't have too much success or happiness in this world. But, like, goddamn. <laughs> he was so cool. I would have loved to have a drink with him. What I loved is there is a speech um, or a, a debate between him and William F. Buckley, and mm-hmm. it was in, like, the British Debating Society. And mm-hmm. I'll include a, a link to it, too. But it was about whether or not the American dream was built on the back of, as they phrased it, the American Negro. Yes. And Baldwin was so impassioned and so clear and made mm-hmm. these incredible points mm-hmm. that Buckley was just kind of like, okay, well, here's my take. And the debating society overwhelmingly chose Baldwin's argument and said that, you know, this is the winner. And you look at that room in the background, almost everyone in there is white. Of course. Um, to be fair, uh, that to me is why I don't think that I would be good at pageant uh, interviews because when presented with the question was the American dream built on the back of the American Negro yes I'm going off stage like that <laughs> that debate's over you're like yes mic drop yes. okay not even mic drop just we're done like there's nothing it's like do you have anything to add no like the answer is yes it's like why do you believe in trans rights because I do oh I'm sorry you want follow-up because they're human rights is this then, debate. Yeah, like there's not a there's not a discussion to be had here. Um to list some of the very, very cool people. Uh good lord, Nina Simone, Langston Hughes. There's so much. We mentioned the cool ones like MLK and Malcolm X. I he liked Malcolm X more because of the revolutionary, which I feel like a lot of people did um at the time which is at this moment a very fascinating conversation to have of um <laughs> which who was right air quotes and who was wrong as we watch uh, many cities become looted including our own though not as bad recently san antonio i think had like one or two nights of that and then everyone was like cut that ish out the alamo didn't do anything um fail out or we'll ask you to leave politely with their guns in your face oof because Uh, texas oof yeah nemo sorry my cat just bit me nemo no that's not what you're supposed to do you beautiful croissant nemo is a furry croissant that sleeps and hides from everyone except me right he doesn't understand the difference like he doesn't understand that when mommy is talking on a conference call it doesn't mean that like technically other people can't see him 
because normally he runs and hides he's he's a he's a good furry potato and i love him even though i get to see him very very rarely i've seen him a lot because of photos which has been lovely i haven't seen river but apparently river has been uh, keeping your husband company yes she's a. Uh, she decided that daddy is warm and that mommy is boring and can you see nemo i can see nemo oh my god he's alert he's alert he's doing things he's doing Sorry, cat this things about james fault <laughs> sorry we got distracted by cat um do you want to close out or do you want to talk about his love life i don't know very much about his love life i will admit that i know a little bit about his love life um at first he had a really really huge boner for richard wright who was a writer during the time and basically said that uh richard wright um was just a great human being there was a lot of mutual love and respect for the two of them um, and then in 49, Baldwin met Lucinda Habersberger, um, who was 17. Oh, dear. Uh, like Uncle Tennessee all over again. It's a little bit. Uh, it's a little bit. Uh, they married. Though three years later, uh, they divorced. To give you some context, Lucinda Habersberger died in 2010. <laughs> wow. So that is the extent of how young this guy was in comparison, uh, which leads us to the uncomfortable uh, trends that we have noticed that uh, our gay male authors uh, seem to have a predilection <laughs> for younger men. It was technically a different time, but we would be remiss not to bring it up and that that is slightly problematic. Just... <laughs> I, mm, mm. It's, it's problematic, but I also don't want to, like, give an edge to, like, the people who keep trying to, like, loop in pedophiles to the LGBTQ community. Gotcha. So, like, I don't want to open that door at all. Because <laughs> if they see even a crack, they're going to bum rush it. But at the same time, we would be bad literary analysts if we didn't bring up that slightly problematic element. Um, I am willing to say that it was a different time. There was also a, um, there was also a bit of a crush on uh, one of his poetry teachers, which was actually quite nice, and painter Buford Delaney, which Baldwin described Delaney as the first living proof for me that a black man could be an artist in a warmer time, a less blasphemous place. He could have been recognized as my teacher and I his pupil, he became for me an example of courage and integrity, humility and passion and absolute integrity. I saw him shaken many times and I lived to see him broken, but I never saw him bow. So already a better writer than 90% of human beings. Just going to go and say that. Oh yeah. He wrote poetry. He wrote plays. He wrote commentary. He wrote yep. novels. Like Man was all over the place. He edited a literary journal, like mm -hmm. hardcore. So back to the rest of the stuff, um, which is basically just how he was remembered, right? So one of the more recent documentaries that's come out is um, "I'm Not Your Negro," mm -hmm. and it's actually voiced by Samuel L. Jackson, which stunned me because it is the only time I've ever heard Samuel L. Jackson 
speak mm-hmm. without any kind of yelling or raising his voice. Mm-hmm. It is very measured and calm, and he goes through and he he's narrating as Baldwin. Um, mm-hmm. And they use clips from debates and clips from the multiple talk shows that Baldwin was on about mm-hmm. race relations and um, his personal thoughts on Medgar Evers and Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and their deaths and where he was when things happened. It actually mm-hmm. came from a book that he had been writing mm-hmm. um, that from what I understand, I don't think it was ever actually published or it, he never felt it was finished. It was called Remember This House. And it's really powerful. Um, mm-hmm. If you have Amazon Prime, it is available to watch now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's definitely a, important, it's definitely important to watch. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's an important watch. Um, I mean, especially if right now you're trying to learn more and you're trying to open your mind up a lot more yep pretty much um he died actually relatively recently yeah in the in the scheme of things like 87 yeah that wasn't that long ago yeah i was like two and a half yeah like that's amazing and of course in france he is buried in He's buried in America with the tiniest of headstones. Please someone get him a better headstone. People are quoting him in graffiti to honor uh, to honor the whole like George Floyd protests. That's okay. Everything is better now. Can I if we ever become super famous, I would like for our funds to go to getting uh, authors, mostly the black ones nicer headstones. I'm down. Okay. Because this is my mother has a nicer headstone than this. <laughs> I would like to get James Baldwin a nicer headstone. I'd also like to uh, bury George Stinney. Who's George Stinney? You told me about that. Do you want to hate America? Because I can do this. No so, matter what I answer, I will get in trouble. So please tell me more. <laughs> so George Stinney is on record the youngest person executed in the United States. And he was a little black boy who was essentially wrongly convicted of murder and he was executed in North Carolina um, at like 14 or something like that. He is the youngest to be executed. Um, Of course, it was a horrible racist trial where his parents couldn't see him for fear of them being lynched. He wasn't in jail very long. He served on death row he was executed by the electric chair and there is horrifying detail about that. Um, It's very, very sad. And because he was a criminal, he was buried very unceremoniously in the two thousands. The conviction was overturned like 70 years later. (laughs) So he's exonerated, but he's also dead. Um, So I would like to give him a proper burial somewhere that is uh, not wherever the fuck he is right now. And just on his headstone, just be like, I am so fucking sorry. (laughs) Like, that's it. Like, it's his name, some doves, a bunch of flowers, and then I am so fucking sorry. That's the headstone. Uh, So that's George Stinney. I fell down that rabbit hole uh, doing some research on the everything. And um, I became radicalized for a few minutes. (laughs) I can understand... Were you a part of that generation who, when they watched Roots, they started, like, hating white people for a minute? Yeah. 
Yeah. I remember we were on vacation somewhere and we mm -hmm. were like in for the night and Roots was on TV and my right. mom's like, oh yeah, this is important. And I'm like, and this was before we had covered slavery in school. So right. I was like, what the hell did people do to these people? What is, what is going on? And it was just like that complete lack of understanding because I was right. fairly young going, why would somebody do that to another person? That's right. awful. And then getting into like school and them talking about slavery and us just being like, well, why would you do that though? And being right. in that generation. So I was in high school, late nineties, early two thousands. Mm -hmm. And it was like junior high and high school kind of combined. Mm -hmm. And I remember our school being very much like racism, you know, we're all one society and right. we don't see color and da da da. Right. I lived in Orange County, okay? Y'all see older, race. And you start realizing how fucking racist Orange County is. Right. Um, and they are not, like, they're lately making me real glad I moved. Mm -hmm. with this whole death threats to their health director thing mm -hmm. where, she, to the point where she finally stepped down. And mm -hmm. now nobody has to wear masks in Orange County. And I'm like, mm -hmm. have fun. Yep. You can't breathe. And you're on like one of two ventilators. Yep. So that's George Stinney. Um, I briefly became uh, very, very angry at the United States, though apparently he may not have been the youngest American executed. There is a report that a 12 year old girl was hanged until dead in like the early 1700s. Uh, and she was a Native American girl with an intellectual disability because she fought a little white girl over some strawberries. So because it was so early in the American lexicon, we do not know for sure if that is true. But George Stinney may not be the youngest executed, but by the worst of technicalities, <laughs> which is, I think, the American legacy in a nutshell. I'm trying to see if there's a James Baldwin Society or anything. So we can just throw money. No, so we can be like, hey, I want to partner with you. How do we do this? Uh, you know what? He'd probably want us to work with like the ACLU or like the NAACP. I mean, I'm happy to do that. Yes, please, pro please protest to why you. <laughs> yes. uh, um, so if you want to know how to support uh, Black people during this very, very uh, exhausting time, your local NAACP chapter probably could use a little bit of help. The ACLU is great. The Southern Poverty Project is also great. Um, your local bail funds are wonderful. If you're going to protest, stay hydrated. Leave your phone at home. Put it on airplane mode. Get a burner phone from Walmart so they can't track your position. Said that all too quickly. Don't take pictures of protesters and post them on the internet. Take zero photos of protesters and post them on the internet. Cover your face. You can disarm tear gas by putting a cone over it. Again, all said too quickly. I am your anarchist aunt, apparently. <laughs> I am your auntie anarchy here to help you fuck shit up. Which I feel like needs to be our t-shirt for this week. I'm your anarchist auntie. Um, so yeah, James Baldwin was a complicated man who lived for a very, very long time, which means that we get to know a lot about him, which is why we're drinking bourbon, because we have interviews of people who knew him and got to talk about how cool of a guy he was because I would never drink bourbon for anyone else though I did while I was at the liquor store pick up a Betrovska which is basically Czech Jaeger oh gosh 
Yeah, basically Czechoslovakian Jaeger. So let's figure that out. I will let you know uh, if I end up running into the woods with that. How far away are you? From? You're, you're kind of far from the woods. You'd have to drive. I do have the Denim Estate, not far. That one with the Korean oh, yeah. pavilion. Yeah. I've, you can triangulate my house now. Yes. Am I going to have to like bail you out of jail? I was going to say, if I'm running through the woods in a mostly upper-scale neighborhood, I'm being shot by the police immediately, so there's no risk of going to jail. But that would be too much of a hot take, wouldn't it? Uh, very accurate. Anyway, <laughs> if you're going to run around naked, read- run around naked in your apartment drunk and lock the door, okay? And close the blinds so you can't get called for indecent exposure. Uh, we have no listener questions, which is fine uh because we kind of decided late to do this one we were trying to do like lighter books i don't think this one i mean in comparison to everything that's going on is this super heavy uh really yeah uh in comparison to everything that's going on this isn't the worst and also it is pride um we will go ahead and open up even though we did a pride primer last year if you do have any questions about queer theory or anything like that we're more than happy to talk to you about that because queer theory gets a bit of a bad reputation uh, because people assume it's just fangirls making every character gay, which it's not. It is a little bit, but it is not all of it. <laughs> well, it is because like it's it's not feeling represented or seen. Like there's um one of my favorite things about that aspect of queer theory is like who characters dis- or who fangirls decide are certain things. So, like, there's a weird cult on the internet that is convinced that one of the characters in Pokemon Sword, like, could be trans or could be read as trans. So there's a lot of art of this character as a trans male. And it's like, but what about this character sold it? Because there's actually a decent cast for this series. Why just this one? That kind of stuff to me is fascinating. Because I've been a part of this weird cult of fan fiction for so many years. I ask these kinds of questions. So queer theory is more than just how do we gay up a character? It's why do we feel so unseen that we're going to gay up a character? Wasn't it Lindsay Ellis who did a whole thing about the Transformers? The whole plate is the what the video essay series is called. She also just released a video that I need to finish. It's protest music during the Bush era. Oh. Which I feel like Lindsay Ellis is in my mind because her fucking videos are just like so specific and it's like this is because and Tori knows this about me because we went book shopping a couple times together I love books with 30 words in the title yeah I like, you do. I, I like the most specific obscura favorite colors of Julio Claudian emperors like I want the most specific wedge of history that's like whenever a comic book or something comes across the fangirl nation desk and i'm like oh wow this title like takes up an entire line in wordpress hey amanda you want to cover this or if it's gay i basically get all the gay stuff (laughs) if it's gay or about sex i get it or about gay sex (laughs) yeah i'll just like go hey you interested and i'll say yes i don't think i've said no yet no, the only times you're ever like, I can't, is when you're super busy with something. Yeah, but, um... And then it's do... like, can we hold on this? <laughs> yeah, but we do get to answer the fun question, which is, did we read this in school? And the answer is no, because I live in Texas. Uh, but... Hey, I happy... grew up in California, and we didn't read this in school. 
<laughs> have you seen those horrible billboards that are uh, don't let Texas become like California? Constantly. And I constantly get this whole like, well, you're from California. And I'm like, my husband's from Georgia. What's your point? Like, I also just, I mean, I know that, I know that there's no utopia in America. I mean, there's no utopia anywhere, but there's no utopia in America, especially, but like, what's wrong with California? The last few times I went, it was pretty nice. The whole thing is they, they worry about the overstepping of government balance in regards to everything. Um, there, New York did something where they, this makes sense. California banned straws. At yes. Yes. Um, and it became a big, big deal to people who were like, oh, I'm going to use a piece of plastic if it depends on it. It's like, okay, well, they made, and I get it, for, for folks who are disabled or unable to do things, straws are great. Totally mm-hmm. get it. For the rest of us, it's kind of like, okay, well, there are other options. You know, yeah. you're, you're, nobody's keeping you from drinking. Yeah. Um, and then, like, New York has done similar stuff where they banned soda for a while over, like, a certain amount. Mm-hmm. And there are always these big concerns of, oh, my gosh, they're doing this. But Texas, soda... Texas does stuff all the time. We do, we do. stuff all the time in legislature. But oh we let people keep guns. So that's why they're like, don't... Yeah. Anyway... You know what? I love I Texas. Like, Let me just put this out there. I love living in Texas. This makes me happy. I'm happy <laughs> to be here. I, I don't want to move back home. Like, I'm good. Okay. So that's a mark on your bingo card if you haven't already filled it up. But feverish backpedaling. Feverish backpedaling. <laughs> feverish yeah. backpedaling. If you I haven't chose to move here on purpose. So. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you don't already have essentially a full house in this episode, <laughs> I've sang. <laughs> There's been singing uh we talked about misogyny racism optics, white hegemony or he- white yeah. hegemony 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 wow i can't who, talk who is hegemony does she go here um, i keep saying colsacanth instead of coelacanth so it's a whole thing in all fairness like that's one of those words that i look at and is like you have too many everything um so i didn't have to read this in school i wish that i had because it's a great book i can see why we didn't because it's a little bit smutty in places but no more or less smutty than Madame Bovary, which has the infamous carriage scene that is about as subtle as getting hit in a brick. Like, just... Uh, uh, Brett in the sun also rises. True. Like, this is... Yeah. We got we got some smut in school, and then they acted like, oh, no, it's fine. It's almost like schools just don't like Black authors sometimes. Did you have to read it in school? I'm assuming no. not because no school has good taste. No, we did not have to read this in school. If you we, had to read this in school, let us know. Because even in college, I never had to read this. We had it James Baldwin hinted at a few times, which is why I knew basics about him. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot more from doing this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, before it was basically like, oh yeah, and James Baldwin was there. Moving on to this author, and we're like, well, who's James Baldwin? And you're like, uh, some black dude. We read Native Son in junior year English. Okay. And it was interesting, to say the least. As, as I've, I've pointed out, I use that word a lot. Um, yeah. Mostly because we were a class that was almost entirely white or Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, sitting there 
analyzing it and being like, wait, this is the black experience. This is why this would happen. Holy shit. So. Yeah. Um, I, I think if you have not read this book, it's a good time to, um, because there's a lot of stuff going on everywhere. You know, your country is weird when the Germans are saying your cops are too intense. I, I just, I'm somewhat enamored and horrified by the fact that we've had protests all over the world. And the one in Berlin was like, when the Germans are saying your cops are too intense. And I don't say this to besmirch the Germans. They're right underneath France and Japan for me. We need to reevaluate every system everywhere. So it has been a pleasure drinking bourbon and talking about James Baldwin with you. Thank you for this. Thank you for being willing to do this and I'm finding not as it tired. such an awesome book. Yeah, like I'm not as tired as I feel like I would be during most of these books. Like for whatever reason, this one, I mean, probably because it's well written. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like any other book like this, I would be too exhausted to have talked for over an hour about. But this one was good. I really liked it. And the smut wasn't bad. Yeah, it, it felt like, it felt very modern to me, and it felt like something that I could whip through versus, like, Tolstoy. Anyway. I don't think it's possible. For, for my birth month, should we just read, like, like, read Les Mis and just fully make us suffer? Only if I can start going, look down. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, that's not mentioned in the book, though. You can't have fun. That's the problem. That's why I said read, not watch. The book is about as dry as a mummy. It's like, hey, this is important, but also I'm turning my phone off. How dare you? Somebody tried to just call me. Yeah. And y'all don't need to hear the Gravity Falls theme. A show that I still don't understand. I love it. Um, we do have some resources. I actually found some really, really cool links about people that were able to talk to James Baldwin, including one author for the New York Times who got to go like on a food tour of all the places that James Baldwin went to while he was in Paris. So he That's basically awesome. pulled like a mini Anthony Bourdain, but like not as smart. I would love to have seen Anthony Bourdain do a food tour of that. Oh, that would be cool. I hope in heaven they're having a good time. They're having like really, really awesome food right now. God damn, I hope they're having the best conversation like right now with Julia Child. Um, so there are some really, really cool like links and articles and stuff like that um, about James Baldwin as a writer and like what he ate and drank in Paris because he really liked France. Like he really enjoyed it. And I'm glad that it wasn't very racist for him because people that I know that have traveled there recently have said otherwise. Um, but realistically, that's true anywhere. So... And those I'll are resources. all of those resources too on our website at mm -hmm. unfortunatelyrequiredreading.com. Yep. Um, so, our next book. Do you want to read the Virginia Woolf one or do you want to watch Rent? Which one's going to be? I mean, I never want to watch Rent. I feel like Rent has more to say though. Is it a book though? We did Harry Potter as a movie before it was a book. Is, I'm going to Google, is Rent based off? Well, yes, it technically is. It's based off of an opera, which is written. Oh, technicalities. I, yes, Shit. I win by Shit. technicality. Ah. We're covering Rent. <laughs> yes, I win. 
I love and I hate you in equal measure at the moment. Because I won by the thinnest of technicalities. Yes. Like the ever so. Because it's based off of an opera, which is technically written. Was it based off Lava Wimp? It is. Okay. I, oh my God, I win. And I, and I feel great about it. (laughs) I'm a little mad, but Mm -hmm. you're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. I'm so, this is probably the bourbon, but I am thoroughly excited because I can't wait to listen to us both complain about the Manic Pixie Dream Buy. Oh, I have my friend's take on it too, which I'll probably include. And also there's that amazing Lindsay Ellis video where it's just 45 minutes of her saying how much she hates it. But um, if you want to honor James Baldwin's legacy, yeah, donate to a local foundation that's supporting those with HIV and AIDS. Get out there and protest safely. Um, donate to your local NAACP or ACLU chapters. But I think that he would want us to act, but he would want us to act consciously. I think one of the biggest things that I've been seeing and one of the biggest things in the black community that I've been seeing is this level of exhaustion because so much of protesting has been so performative. It's been, you have to say it. You have to say that you believe in Black Lives Matter. You have to say it. Why? (laughs) It shouldn't be an indictment against me because I haven't screeched it from the top, you know, the tallest rafters. Right. Everything about my existence should tell you that obviously I do not condone the murder of my brothers and sisters by the police. Um, and I believe in and I support subtle gestures. And I think that's what James Baldwin would also love and support. He was all about education and discussion, firm and stern discussion. But it was never bombastic or just for the sake of trending a hashtag. Right. So... If you're exhausted during this time, because I know I am, take solace and know that whatever you're doing is probably enough. And more importantly, whatever you're doing is probably more than a lot of other people at this time. And if you're tired, curl up with an episode of our podcast that's a little bit nicer where we don't talk as much about (laughs) racism and how exhausting the world is. I think Gatsby's pretty good, isn't it? I mean, it's one of our most popular ones. It is. It was our first across a hundred. So, um, happy Pride, everyone. If you would like to support your two favorite uh, drunk Slytherins, you are welcome to support us at uh, anchor.com anchor.fm slash unfortunately required reading. I have had bourbon in my system. And Tori, where are all the places that people can find us? You can find us at Unfortunately Required Reading on Facebook, Unfortunately RR on Twitter, Unfortunately mm-hmm. Required on Instagram. And if you're like me and you're lazy, you just want to go to one central place, unfortunatelyrequiredreading.com. Um, there you'll find a link to our Redbubble store as mm-hmm. well as a link to bookshop.org that we have our own little um, book list of things that we've covered on the show mm-hmm. and just points of interest. Um, oh, you, yeah. Fun fact, Redbubble now has masks, so I can probably move some of our designs to uh, mask templates. Yes. I can think of one that might be really popular right now. (laughs) (laughs) And if you have suggestions for books or want to tell us a funny story, you can reach us at unfortunatelyrequiredreading at gmail.com. Absolutely. And if you are the person who purchased our white tears, whatever you bought, I would like to see it in the wild, please. 
What what was purchased? Was it a button it or a sticker? sticker. It was okay. A sticker. Whoever just purchased that white tear sticker, I would like to see it because I designed it. I want to see it out in the wild. I want to see my child and make sure that it's doing okay. So uh we're gonna get through this together when I don't know, but I do have faith that we will get through this. So for the love of all that is good and holy during this uh, turbulent time, but also during this uh, strong pride, go read a book. <laughs>